Welcome back to Agelist, where we uncover the juiciness of aging. I'm Jessica, your host. I'm also a double board certified family nurse practitioner and menopause provider. And your guide on this journey fueled by my personal musings and our shared experiences. Before we unravel the layers, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not medical advice. We are here to explore, share, and support. But for personal guidance, consult with your healthcare professionals. And this year, 2024, I hope to focus on creativity. I'm also starting a new segment called 333. These will be short episodes that hopefully tickle your curiosity. These are my 333 thoughts. There are times that I wake up fully alert with a fully active mind at 3.33 a.m. I may be thinking about my kids, money, my family, patients, and of course, I'm also trying to solve all of the problems of the world. Basically, nothing that can be fixed at that time, or at least in most cases, nothing that can be fixed by me. And then there are other times that I have these recurring thoughts or recurring themes. And just recently, I had one of those. And the thing that kept coming up was menopause is all in your head. So that's what this episode's about. When I became a nurse practitioner, actually, when I became a nurse and heavily involved in the medical establishment, it always seemed strange to me that disciplines that dealt with emotions and the mind and mood were separate from those that dealt with the body or the physical organs. Maybe it's because I was raised by artists and not medical professionals. Most of the time when I would talk to other nurses, they'd be like, oh, my so-and-so is a nurse or my so-and-so is a doctor or, you know, I had no clue. I grew up with parents that had a Swami. They were not Indian. They were just hippies. My father would say, like, even into his late 70s, oh, you know what Swami Satchidananda says? And then he would say something that Swami Satchidananda would say. Or my mom will sometimes mention, oh, do you remember that time we traveled on the silver cord in Becky's class? So I was about five, and Becky was our family yoga teacher. She actually taught until she was 89 and lived until the age of 101. Anyway, it's no surprise that I believe, well, that I know that the mind and the body are linked. And what we cannot express, and I see that, as a nurse and nurse practitioner and just moving through the world, what we cannot express, meaning our feelings, they are expressed involuntarily. So an example of that would be herpes. 
Hopefully you had a chance to listen to my last episode where we talked with Courtney about something positive for positive people, which is an organization. Anyway, let me, but listen to that episode. What we know about herpes, it lives inside of your nervous system. It lives inside of your body. It does not go away. It cannot be cured, but it doesn't always come up. And a lot of times it comes up in times of stress. And it's not necessarily bad stress, although it may feel like there's bad stress all the time. It can be good stress as well. So I always like to tell people, think about if you won $30 million. Like I personally would not know what to do with $30 million. I would be happy to be out of debt. Like I would, but like, where do you set up? the money? Who do you trust to manage it? Do you know? How, I don't know how to manage that, right? I'm, that stresses me out. So even that kind of good stress could cause my body to have a reaction. When it comes to our hormones and this idea that menopause is all in your mind, there are physiologically definite connections with the brain and hormones. One is called HPA, which stands for pituitary adrenal access. So it's this access, the HPA is the access. It's that triangle of the hypothalamus, which is in the brain, the pituitary also in the brain and the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands sit above your kidneys. There's also the hypothalamus, pituitary and gonadal system, HPG. So same parts of the brain, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and then to the gonads. We're talking about testes, we're talking about ovaries. So the hypothalamus is the part of the brain that affects a bunch of physiological processes like body temperature, emotions, appetite, sleep, hormones, the endocrine system, so the thyroid, and or maybe the whole thing is that, but whatever. We're not, I'm not gonna, not gonna get too deep into science. So g- give me a little bit of grace here. And this is supposed to be one of my wild 333s. Okay. Anyway, the point is that the hypothalamus connects the endocrine system to the nervous system. And what happens is that part of the brain, the hypothalamus, sends a message to the pituitary gland. And the pituitary gland either releases hormones or sends additional messages. And that manifests in our metabolism. You can think of the thyroid, growth, and reproduction. And the pituitary then splits off. There are two parts, anterior, front, and posterior, back. And remember, one thing that I said that I mentioned is that the hypothalamus regulates our body temperature as well as our emotions and our appetite. And you can just think maybe as you've gotten older, you've noticed a change in your temperature fluctuation, a change in your mood, and a change in your appetite. Like you're hot, you're cold, you're grouchy, you're going to stuff your emotions with food, your estrogen may be low and you're craving more sugar, you're bloated. So I'm going to just drill in a little bit more. So you've got an anterior and a posterior part of the pituitary. 
I, I just want to remind you, you will not be quizzed on any of this. Okay, this is just like file this shit in the back of your mind. The anterior pituitary, the anterior lobe, so there are two lobes, the anterior lobe sends chemical messages to the adrenals, for example. And that message is to produce cortisol, the stress hormone. It's your get up and go. The anterior also sends messages for the follicle stimulating hormone to be released, which stimulates testes to make more sperm and ovaries to make more estrogen. It also sends a message to the luteinizing hormone saying, make more testosterone for people with testicles, and it's time to ovulate for those people that menstruate. We're not even gonna get into what, the, what happens with the thyroid. But the thyroid is also stimulated by the pituitary. Now, if you are a person that is interested in hormones, taking hormones, or you're questioning your fertility because maybe you're 40, 41, 42, you, may, you might have your follicle-stimulating hormone evaluated. And it tells us, well, is the message from the brain getting to the testicles is the message from the brain getting to the ovaries? And is that number high telling us like, um, hey, there's no, like, we're not um, working the way we should have. Like we're overtaxed now because we keep sending the message. We keep screaming. And these, this ovary, these ovaries, these testicles are not responding. We're shouting here. Now let's talk about the, the posterior lobe. That's where oxytocin is. Oxytocin actually, which is the bonding hormone or the love hormone, is made by the hypothalamus. And then the posterior lobe of the pituitary, of the pituitary stores it and then releases it when needed. The posterior lobe also stores and releases something called vasopressin. This regulates our water balance and our sodium. So now imagine these messages are not happening. Something, these chemical processes are not happening in the case of estrogen, right? And in the case of perimenopause, late perimenopause, in a, moving into postmenopause. So You've got a hypothalamus that's shooting off temperatures left and right, high, low. You're freezing one minute, you're hot one minute. The message oxytocin is not like it's not being made, it's not being stored. You're going to choke somebody out. And on top of that, you're bloated because you're retaining water and you're craving sugar and you're craving salt. So you're a salty, bloated mess. It all works on this negative feedback system. That message your brain is sending is, I need estrogen. And your brain is saying back, well, then make more estrogen. And your body is saying, but no, we can't do it. The pituitary is sending out the message like, release the eggs, ovulate. And the ovaries are saying, we've given 40 fucking years of eggs. Go 
fuck off. But when I kind of, when I think about this whole mind map of hormones in the brain, two things stick out, stress and connection. Because we didn't even really get into the cortisol, right? The stress hormone. And if you're in constant state of stress and your adrenals are always pumping out and you never have that moment of rest, it just makes sense. For those of us that have night sweats, that have night waking, like the 333, right? There's never this moment where everything just gets to power down and shut down. So we are back up on that stress. The stress is back up and it becomes constant. So anyway, the two major things that stick out for me when I think about the anterior, posterior of the lobes of the pituitary, when I think of what the the hypothalamus is supposed to do, and I think about what the body is supposed to create, it is stress and connection. Stress and connection seem to be the result and the fuel of homeostasis. And the homeostasis, that sense of not really balance, but switching, switchboard, like a switchboard with levers, like lift this one, click this one down. I guess that's balance. Even our being here on this earth is the result of stress and connection. Oxytocin, for example, which is not only considered the bonding hormone, but it is also the hormone that gets people into labor. And at that moment, life starts. Life starts and there is stress. Stress because that life starting is the beginning or the first stressful experience that we go through. And again, there's good stress and there's quote unquote bad stress. But a lot of us are born in stressful situations. So let me just be very clear. I'm not talking about some kind of like born of sin or some shit like that. Like, I don't even really under, like, I don't, I do not know the Bible. So I've only heard people talk about that. That's not what I'm talking about when I say that birth itself is stressful. The act is a stressful event and joyful things can be stressful. But when you are in particularly going out, not only is the skull shifting and the shoulders are wiggling, but the lungs are being squeezed in order to say, pump, work, let's make it happen. Let's take a breath as you enter the world. So that's the first stress I'm talking about. But there are a lot of us who are also born into stressful situations. Maybe our parents had no idea how to parent or how to even adult. Maybe you were brought into absolute chaos. Or maybe everything was pretty okay, but there was generational shit that your parents hadn't taken the time to work out and release. And that seems to also impact our aging and experience. It's widely understood that trauma changes the DNA of three generations. And I'm not talking about a minor inconvenience. I'm talking about trauma that is absolutely life-changing. For those of us that have families that fled from other lands or were brought here without consent, 
but through force and violence, that legacy has been passed on and has changed our DNA. It lives in your body. It lives in your blood and in your bones. It is a cellular memory. And both genetic and on top of that, added or added to that environmental factors influence epigenetics, which is what I'm talking about, and more specifically, the epigenome. And it's those environmental factors. So you may not know that you have three generations of trauma. We could leave it there, but chances are you do. No. But again, it's those environmental factors. So let's say you live in a space where there's systematic oppression. I'm not going to get into it. You know what I'm talking about because this shit is supposed to be short. This is the stuff that keeps me up at 3.33 in the morning. Do you see how I cannot fix this? But anyway, but again, okay, let me get focused. So you know that genet there are genetic changes, and then on top of them, environmental changes that influence our epigenome. Now, an epigenome, I'm reading this from National Human Genome Research Institute. The term epigenome derived from Greek word epi, which literally means above, the genome. The epigenome consists of chemical compounds that modify or mark the genome in a way that tells it what to do, where to do it, and when to do it. Different cells have different epigenetic marks. It is in your bones and blood. More present, again, is how we were raised, what we remember from those first 18 years of life. And what they found is that you can ask 10 questions and score them. And these 10 questions are part of the Adverse Childhood Experiences tool. It's also known as ACEs. So what does the CDC say? CDC says ACEs can have lasting negative effect on well-being and childhood and life opportunities, such as education and job potential and well into adulthood. Moving on. In this definition, a wide range of chronic diseases leading and leading causes of death, such as cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and suicide. So this tool that has these 10 questions says, what have you survived, essentially? What kind of trauma, adverse childhood experiences have you survived? So divorce death of a family member, family members using drugs, family members going to jail, so on and so forth. And it gets more and more upsetting. So more recently, there have been studies around postpartum depression. And they've found that people who suffer from postpartum depression seem to have, or they're not surprised, if they have an ACEs score of four or higher. And more recently, there's been research that has found that folks who have stronger menopausal symptoms, like the hot flashes, the palpitations, the night waking, also seem to have higher ACE scores. 
it's almost as if we spent those formative years in a state of possible hyper-independence, hyper-vigilance, without rest, without a sense of calm and safety, that we don't wait for the next shoe to drop. We're waiting for the whole Payless shoe source to crash in on us. But no, it took a long time to get here. It's going to take more than a pill, a patch, a pellet, or supplement to turn it around immediately. The mind is connected to the body. I don't tell you all of this, especially if you suffer from perimenopausal symptoms or if you suffer from postpartum depression or if you, are, if you know someone who is going through these rough times that we're fucked, we're doomed. That's your history. It's in your body. There's nothing to be done. You are not messing up your family. You're not ruining generations to come. And you're not going to die early in a pool of night sweats. I need you to know that you're not crazy. This is not hopeless. And you're going to be okay. But you may need different support. You may need more support. If you are new to this podcast or my work, I, I need you to know that I believe in two things. I believe that being solidly okay is great. And I believe that sometimes you only need to figure out what will take the pressure off. And right there, you can begin to support the body and the spirit. There's no denying that there's an interplay of stress hormones, and generational experiences in shaping our well-being, and not to mention our day-to-day -day life. I hope that you can use this information to reflect on your relationship to aging and how it feels in your body, how negative stress and even trauma may be expressing itself in times where you can't find the words, and know that you have survived 100% all of those struggles. And I know that for a fact because you're listening to this right now. Creating the space to understand these dynamics is the first step in releasing them and taking the pressure off. I want to give you a couple tangible takeaways. The first thing is five minutes of contemplation. See if you can do five minutes a day, no phone. If you're like me, you probably need to tell Siri or Google or somebody to, to set a timer for you, but um, don't hold the phone. Don't look at the phone. Don't listen. Stare out a window for five minutes. Journaling is helpful. And more specifically, Dr. Penny Baker's four-day therapeutic journaling. I have a link to that in the show notes. Therapy is an excellent tool. Finding a therapist can be challenging. Finding the right therapist can be challenging. But stick with it. It's kind of like dating a little bit, but maybe not. Because if they like annoy you but get you, don't don't date somebody like that. But the therapist might be better. Community support, friends that lift you up and listen to you and strategize with you. Faith, 
and movement, of course. But if your menopause symptoms are in full swing and you are thinking, I'm waking up every night, I think I'm having a heart attack most of the time, I have insomnia, I have rage, I have hot flashes, I feel uneased, painful in my body, and overwhelmed. Perhaps you want to consider hormonal support and addressing those signals and the negative feedback in the brain. Because sometimes when people do take the pressure off that way, I know that was true for me. After years of trying supplements and doing meditation and therapy and movement and journaling, like there was nothing more I could do. That was my story. That was my choice. It took the pressure off so that I could make space for exercise, for diet changing, for sleep. I'm still working on it. And also for being able to look into the past to expand my juicy future. All right. Well, be gentle with yourself and remember that it's better to do a little than burn out trying to do the most. You are not alone on this journey. Together, we can embrace the lustfulness of aging with resilience, compassion, and creative agelist. I'd love it if you would follow, share, and rate. We're going to have a year of inspiring guests and meaningful conversations. There are notes in the bottom. And finally, if you want some one-on-one -on -one time with me, there are a few ways. So feel free to message in the Instagram at agelust.co or email me. I put the details in the description. Until next time, savor the sauciness of your life. Stay lusciously gentle and embrace your juicy strength and know you are a force to be reckoned with.